Welcome to On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin at Ms. Magazine. This is a show where we report, rebel, and tell it just like it is. On today's episode, we have another 15 minutes of feminism, and we're diving in to commemorate 49 years since Roe v. Wade, the landmark Supreme Court case that secured the right to abortion and bodily autonomy for women and people across the United States. But as we head into 2022, we're reckoning with the fact that several justices on the Supreme Court seem poised to use their authority to dismantle abortion rights. Now, in honor of this significant anniversary, Ms. Magazine is relaunching its iconic We Have Had Abortions campaign. Take a look at the magazine online, too. The campaign first made national news in 1972 when 53 prominent American women, including Billie Jean King, Susan Sontag, and Gloria Steinem, proclaimed in the pages of Ms. Magazine that they had abortions. Well, we're relaunching the campaign because reproductive rights are in jeopardy and the fight for equality, autonomy, liberty, and privacy is on. No one should have to tell their medical story or abortion story, but by lifting up our voices, we let women, girls, and non-binary folks know that we have their backs. We're letting them know that they are seen, heard, and cherished. The hope is that they may be spared the shaming, stigma, and bullying that today accompanies exercising the right to terminate a pregnancy and sadly to even seek and obtain birth control. To join this campaign, you can head to MsMagazine.com where you can sign the petition and learn more about the original campaign and the fight to preserve abortion rights in 2022. Now, joining me for today's show is someone who has signed her name to the campaign. It's Amy Brenneman. She's an Emmy and Golden Globe-nominated American television, film, and theater actress and producer. She's best known for her extensive television work in shows like NYPD Blue, Frasier, Private Practice, The Leftovers, and Judging Amy, which she co-created and starred in. I'm so pleased to have Amy with us because she's used her voice and her position to not only tell her abortion story, but also to lift up and advocate for others. I couldn't be more happy than to be joined by Amy as we unpack these important issues for our times. Amy, I couldn't be more thrilled than to have you on the show with me today, especially as Ms. Magazine has relaunched its abortion storytelling campaign where folks are sharing their stories and you are among them. And doing so takes enormous courage and it takes love too, I think. And so Amy, I'm curious as to why it is that you're sharing your story, especially as there's so much shame and stigma that can be associated, shouldn't be associated with telling stories about abortions. So why is it that you've joined the fight? Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me. I really am a super fan. And um, the way you talk about things and who you are, um, it's just a pleasure to be in community with you today. For thank sure. you, Amy. You know, I, I feel like it's, it's uh, for me, talking more uh, publicly and specifically about having an abortion, not just having an opinion about it or supporting it in general, um, was was a bit of a process. And, you know, I, I never really thought it was that interesting, to be honest with you. I never thought that it would be a, um, a, a, a very useful thing. I mean, I had 
um, you know, I was thinking actually coming on that I probably have participated in so many different aspects of this conversation. And I'm sure if there was a particular Supreme Court, they probably would have a say over all of it, right? Meaning I've had an abortion, I've used birth control, I've done in, in, in vitro fertilization, and I have a special needs daughter, right? So it's like all of those are sort of connected to choice and, and taking on uh, what you feel, what I feel like I can responsibly take on as a, as a human and as a mother. Um, so, you know, it's funny, I was thinking in, in uh, before I came on with you, uh, there was a march, I believe it was in 2004, it was a march for women's lives, which was wonderful. And the incredible thing about that is I introduced Ani DeFranco, which is still on. <laughs> that um, is a highlight. <laughs> a highlight. And at that point, and I was marching with, with, a, with a mentor of mine who's been active in the movement for a long time. And she had a funny phrase, which was actually really witty and funny. And, and, and she would say, I never had a, a, a child I didn't want, right? Mm -hmm. So the nudge, nudge, wink, wink is I've, I've terminated right. that I didn't want. Yes. And I thought, oh, that's, that's, a, that's a sassy way to say it. But it stopped short of saying I had an abortion, mm -hmm. right? I remember mm -hmm. talking that. So not long after that, actually, was uh, uh, Kathy Spiller of Ms. Magazine said, you know, we're going to uh, reprise um, the original. We had an abortion double truck ad um, pre-row, right? So right. I was like, wow, the women that signed on to that. Exactly. Pre-row. And, and, you know, Kathy and, and, and the feminist majority and, and Ms. and uh, Ellie Smeal, they really have... Um, mentored me in a, in a in a really uh, gentle at times with you know with um, with Ellie not so gentle way, but but I think in general it's taking what's in my head and putting it in action and embodying it quite literally. So um, it was just a little bit of a natural thing to say, oh, I believe in this thing. I had this thing, and that when I will say that was. You know, there was social media, but it isn't the vicious battleground it is today. So I was mm -hmm. sort of shielded by. And so then that what that led naturally to because uh, I also work with the Center for Reproductive Rights. And that very naturally led me to be part of the amicus brief um, to the 2016 Supreme Court. And that um, to me, I thought, well, I already uh, talked about it publicly um, and and I had. But from 2006 or whenever, or 2004, whenever we're talking about, to 2016, in terms mm -hmm. of social media, in terms of the uh, intensity around this issue, it was the later date that I that I um I got trained in the art of withstanding hate online. Right, I'm a stronger person for it. Well, that's another. Well, a number of issues come to mind, and one of them you've just raised in terms of uh, hate mail and the kind of viciousness that can come about. So, so it takes a certain level of courage. Were you nervous, and have you been nervous? I mean, because one can say, "Well, this is important to me, and this is where my values are," and yet at the same time, be mindful of risk to life, even by speaking about having an abortion. Have you had? those kinds of concerns not not tangibly no um you know i wrote a i wrote a spoken word piece that i've performed a couple times that a, a friend of mine had a a, a a theater thing and she said oh this would be a great subject and it, it was called hashtag shameless because it really was about i i was 
um, I think I signed on to the amicus brief. I did all the work on it. And then I was in New York. Uh, oh, yeah, okay. So it would have been in March of, of um, sorry, it would be the fall of 2015. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came back to to L.A., to my home, and sort of on the plane ride, it had come out. And there was a lot of uh, fury and violent language and, you know, my kids were younger and, right. and, but, but part of what I wrote about in that piece and, and I, and I, it, it, it's such a big part of, of how I see my development now is, you know, I was the good girl. I was the people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I thought you could be a feminist and like have everybody like you all the time. Right. <laughs> and, well, um, you so one for, should be able to be a feminist and actually not have a little bit hung up on that, a little bit hung up on everybody liking me, a little bit hung up on um, worrying about the person that didn't. And um, so I think it was more that I didn't really feel as much bodily harm as much as my psyche really reforming mm-hmm. itself and um, getting a thicker skin. But also what happened was, um, you know, and, and this is again, part of the, the spoken word pieces, I, there was something in me that wanted to interrogate that space a little bit more because I agreed to show up for the oral arguments and be part of, so I was like, if I was really that afraid, I would, cause now I'm gonna be physically next to people that are yelling at me and hate me. Um, but my my pastor at the time, actually, uh, I called him up and I said, you know, how can I show up for this? And he, I, I, I wasn't raised Episcopalian, but I go to All Saints Pasadena. And he said, well, just so you know, your church has been prayerfully ch- pro-choice since, you know, 1984 or something. So that must have lifted you up. Well, and it also, I feel like is part of this conversation is faith leaders yes. saying, hold up. Not only yes. can you not hijack the word Christian, you actually cannot hijack women. That's right. <laughs> and That's there's right. actually a long history of it. And so that kind of, ooh, that gave me a little swagger. But even more than that, he said, you know, just um, because I think when people are coming at you with that kind of energy, uh, it's easy to be reactive, right? I think we're going, I'm I, just being for myself, like on a daily basis, right? You read some news that's so violent and so mean and so scary, right? And and it's natural that the nervous system reacts, right? But he said, you know, um, he literally said, just just love everybody. And I was like, what? First, it mm-hmm. felt so kind of, but I got there and the intensity of that day, of the oral argument day, I got to love everybody and I got to love, and I know that the people that feel so passionately about anti-abortion, some of those gals have already had an abortion or they may need one. I mean, it, life is complex, right? That's absolutely right. The whole, us, them, it just softened the whole thing. That was such a, a powerful day. I was at those oral arguments as well. And boy, the energy that day in the crowd of people coming to the microphone and lifting up uh, each other uh, was so powerful. And a point that you make too, that are really so important is that so many uh, people, so many women who identify as anti-abortion have had abortions themselves. I have friends who are OBGYNs who will tell me that there'll be folks who come in for services and will say, but I don't want to call this an abortion. I want to terminate this pregnancy, but, but you can't call it an abortion. And of course, for the procedure to go forward, 
uh, the doctors need to make sure that there is informed consent, that the patients do know what they're getting, and they do know. Um, it's just that they're caught in that that language. I mean, they're they're having and have had more than one yeah. women who are um, anti-abortion. But something else that you mentioned in this episode is uh, airing the week celebrating the holiday for Dr. King. And it reminds me that in 1966, Dr. King received an award from Planned Parenthood. And Mm. in his speech, his wife gave the speech because he was out of town. Sometimes I jokingly say he was out of town being arrested someplace. But in that speech, he spoke of the importance of women being able to make decisions about family planning on their own and about how it was crucial to their health, their well-being, um, and crucial uh, to their fundamental civil rights. And he talked about how there was much in common between a movement for women's rights and civil rights. And he used the word cruel to describe when women are forced to carry pregnancies that they don't want or when their reproductive futures are interfered with. And and so back to this point with regard to the congregation that you're a part of, thing, you know, proudly pro-choice, right? That that it is an important responsibility of those in the cloth who feel this way to come forward as Dr. King did in 1966, seven years before Roe wow. v. Wade. That's an amazing story. Thank you for that. Yeah. And it's the lifting up of of women, you know, and it's mm-hmm. the and the wisdom of women, right? And so I think buried in this um, is is this uh, lost wisdom and lo- not lost, not thank God it's not lost, but um, you know, are writ large right now in certain factions of our of our culture, not all, um, is this dismissal of women's wisdom, you know, whether it's the the wisdom of the earth, which I sort of combine with that, and this idea that you can use and throw away or dictate, and it's like it just doesn't work that way. Um, I had, you know, it's funny, the, there's so, been so many, we all have had, but, but, but recently, you know, when there was the, um, whenever that was December one. Yes. Um, in the Dobbs case, the oral arguments, the Mississippi and abortion I, case. I just could barely articulate, but it was so deep. Mm-hmm. And then I got, um, this, uh, you know, out here in California, you're a Californian as well. You know, it's like the wildfire is terrible, terrible. And there was some whiff, of, thank God it didn't end up happening. However, that day it was like, oh, there might be wildfire, it's dry or we need rain. And I thought like, you burn, you burn mama, you mm-hmm. fucking burn. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. do not get to, you know, whether it's capitalism, just taking, 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 or like a, a justice, I can't, Brett Kavanaugh, I didn't want to, my mother was a judge. I don't, you know. seemingly talking compassionately. It's like, I don't, you don't get to talk about this. You know, you do not get to talk about this. And that, you know, as I've kind of surfed all the feelings, but it's like the connection of the, of the earth and that women's wisdom was like, ah. Well, what's interesting too, is, is you're mentioning December 1st and the oral arguments in Dobbs, the Mississippi law was enjoined by a district court judge a few years ago. And now the challenge is up before the Supreme Court, as we all know, but Judge Carlton Reeves, it's such a powerful opinion. And his footnotes even speaking to the injustices in Mississippi directed at women, directed at black women. It was as if, look, let's look honestly at what these histories have been. How dare you say 
state of Mississippi, that this is about protecting women, protecting black women, when there's been such an awful legacy of denying voting rights, education, the ability to go into parks, the ability to live where where women would want to live, the ability to be able to work where they would want to work and receive a, a fair wage. I mean, he didn't say all of that, but he certainly laid the foundation and talked about Fannie Lou Hamer and so much more. And the infamous Mississippi appendectomies coercively sterilizing black girls and black women like this is your backdrop, not to mention the horrific rates of maternal mortality that exists because you would think at least if you're coercing people to maintain pregnancies that you'd make sure that you keep them alive and you allow them to thrive. But we're talking about a backdrop with one of the highest maternal mortality rates, not only in the nation, but in the world. And how does one make any sense of this except to say it doesn't make sense and there's no legitimacy behind this? I mean, how can you impose what is essentially a death sentence on some people knowing that in fact, a person is 14 times more likely to die by carrying a pregnancy to term than terminating it? Now, choice should mean that a person has the ability to be able to be pregnant if that person wants to be pregnant. But with those statistics, if you don't want to be pregnant, the state can't coerce you into something where it knows it is deadly and can be deadly for you, especially when we're talking about poor people, poor women, uh, poor black and brown women. I, you know, it's just, it's, it's immoral. Well, I think, and I think circle, thank you for that. I think circling back to the the question at the top, you know, it is a, it is, I feel like my, my little participation in this, um, is, is about truth telling. Right. And I think if that's the, um, that's the wonderful disorienting time that we are living in, you know, a friend of mine put it really well. She said, you know, an individual when, 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 when the structure isn't working anymore, they go into therapy and their ego structure falls apart for a while. Right. And it's really confusing. It's like, Oh my gosh, I'm not who I thought I was. I can't, you know, have the habits I used to have. But then, right? Fingers crossed, you know, a healthier ego structure is built, right? So we are decentralizing, right? It's like, well, you know, you know, like, wait, what? We're in a circle now. Wait, what? There's not the dad. Wait, what? You know? Yeah. And, and I do as, as, as horror. And that what I was naive about, um, and I'm not anymore, but I was up until like <laughs> six months ago. No, maybe, maybe five no. Years ago, is the backlash is the backlash. So I kind of thought like, all right, slow and steady, I mean, I remember my mother. So my mother was born in 1912. Oh, that's, and that's the other thing. Um, my mother had an abortion in 1943 mm-hmm. and didn't tell me about it until I, until actually weirdly coming back from that March, whenever mm-hmm. that was, um, mm-hmm. I was in New York and I was like, oh, these, I was just showing her, I remember really well, I was in a friend's apartment in New York and showing her pictures of it. And then she was like, oh, she's so good. This is my mother, first class of women in Harvard Law School, powerful, powerful. powerful. And I remember her sitting, she's like, I had an abortion. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, mama, I, I always, I always suspected because what I got as a daughter, right. And this is not unusual with families is sort of this fog of a story or fog of confusion. Right. And I did tell her about when I had an abortion at 21 she was great. She said, maybe don't tell your dad. And I was like, okay. Although that, that was actually one thing that did come out. I was like, oh, by the way, dad, you know, decades later, did you know I had an abortion? He's like, yeah, it's totally fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, and, and so my mom's, so I said, you know, what happened? And she, she was, um, I guess it was 1945. 
she was at, at Radcliffe and had these great friends and the war ended and these sailors flooded Boston and Cambridge and they were beat the Nazis and partying. She said, um, it wasn't really a boyfriend. It wasn't somebody I knew well. I think I, I wouldn't say she was blacked out, but she didn't, you know, she, they'd been drinking. I mean, the shame, right? Shame, 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 shame. And then I, and then I got to say to her, you know, I'm, and then she, she and my dad had problems getting pregnant with my brothers and me. They ended up obviously having children. So I got to say to her decades later, you did the right thing. It's not your fault, you know? So yeah. I was thinking like, wow, if we could have skipped those decades of agony and shame for my mom. And also she could have been a mentor to me going like, hey, sometimes mm -hmm. you gotta do this and I will be there with you and there's a safe way to do it. So right. um, I never really spoke about that. Although I, she passed away about a year ago, I feel her on my shoulder, like it's okay. Like it's, yes. so I think the truth telling to what you're saying about the, the justice in Mississippi, it's like, come on, right. let's tell the truth. Oh, you know, thank you for three, sharing that. A lot of moms, you know, it's necessary. yes. This this is right. Well, you know, before we wrap up this this show, and time goes way too quickly. It reminds me of the work that Justice Blackman did in Roe v. Wade. It wasn't a close decision. It was a seven to two opinion, and five of those seven justices were Republican appointed. He was put on the court by Richard Nixon. And he talked about how this was basic common sense, right? Um, so did Nixon. This is like basic public health when Nixon signed on to further legislation like Title 10 and so forth. But it's interesting that Justice Blackman canvassed history. And I think that that was in a way to show that, look, nobody should feel stigma and shame right now because uh, historically abortion wasn't criminalized or made illegal in the United States, right? So this kind of this pall, this kind of shaming, this has really come about out of a coercive political space. It's not come out of some sort of fundamental values that indigenous people had, that pilgrims had, right? <laughs> that people who immigrated to this country had. No, this is something that emerged over time and that has been used as a political wedge and sword against the lives of women and people who can become pregnant. Well, we've reached this time, Amy, where I wanna ask you about the silver lining going forward. We ask our guests that because we try to think about resilience, uh, hope, and keeping the faith in and amongst ourselves and also those who've paved the path before us. And I'm thinking about your mom right now. So what do you see as a silver lining going forward, Amy? Um, yes. And I, when I got the, that note about, uh, about your podcast, it made me so happy because, um, I think it's easy to get into a habit of anger and despair. And, um, I actually think there's a lot of, of, <clears throat> when I was thinking about that, um, you know, I think, I think medical abortion is, I mean, it was like, wow, I, 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 it's been around for a long time. You know, I remember somebody telling me a, a Jamaica, I don't know where this came from, but I want to say it was Jamaica Kincaid. <clears throat> and it was this, I, this image of women coming to another woman's house who had some wisdom about this. Here's some tea. I'm going to rub your back. It was like this moment of like, oh, why are we going to this medical, you know, if we don't have to, you know, if so many of these uh, pregnancies could be terminated um, at home privately with somebody rubbing your back. I was like, that 
sounds really good, you know. Um, and also it would give the anti-abortion protesters some, they'd have to find something else to do. They'd have to, <laughs> right. it's a big part of their, um, and then, and then uh, another interesting, <clears throat> you know, I feel like that word um, intersectionality, broaden and connection, um, you know, I have felt, you know, in the work that I've been doing uh, on myself really. And like, I, I, I lost the thread between my black and brown sisters, you know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I kind of knew the Hyde Amendment, but I was like, we got Roe, you know, it's like, no, baby, no, no, yeah. no. They've been, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and then, and then knowing Amy Hangstrom Miller and the, the connections I've made on September 1st, you know, when uh, SB8 first came down, I, I felt it the way, um, I can't really describe it, but it was like, I was a woman in Texas. There wasn't no part of me that's like, thank God I'm in California at right. all, right. at all. Right. So I was like, oh, that's interesting. We're kind of, you know, connection, connecting more. Yeah. Okay. Just a couple more hopeful things, you know, women in Congress talking about their abortion, you know what I mean? Like having that. And then also, <clears throat> you know, the way we're sort of looking at, at different things <clears throat> like the filibuster, like things that just are not working. Maybe it shouldn't be the decision of nine people, you know, mm -hmm. who more and more display their political, um, you know, and I, and I say that as a daughter of a judge, like, oh, mm -hmm. like, of course, it showed up without a mask the other day. I was like, oh, man. OK, well, if that is true, then then that's a political arm as well. So maybe we should kind of rethink how we're how we're doing this. Well, those are important uh, pearls of wisdom that you've just shared every little bit, including the concern about our courts, which is actually shared by so many Americans, because the Supreme Court now has the lowest um, confidence ranking rating that it's had in a half century. So uh, this has been so much, um, it's such a pleasure for me, so much fun for me to be on with you today. Amy, thank you so much for joining me for our On the Issues podcast. Thank you for having me. Guests and listeners, that's it for today's special episode of 15 Minutes of Feminism on our On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin at Ms. Magazine platform. I want to thank my guest, Amy Brenneman, for joining us and being part of this insightful and important conversation. And to you, our listeners, I thank you for tuning in for the full story. We hope you'll join us again for our next episode where we will be reporting, rebelling, and you know, telling it just like it is. It will be an episode you will not want to miss. And for more information about what we discussed today, head to MsMagazine.com and be sure to subscribe. If you believe, as we do, that women's voices matter, that equality for all persons cannot be delayed, and that rebuilding America, being unbought and unbossed and reclaiming our time are important, then be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. We are ad-free and reader-supported Help us reach new listeners and bring the hard-hitting content you've come to expect by rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Let us know what you think about our show, and please support independent feminist media. Look for us at MsMagazine.com for new content and special episode updates. And if you want to reach us to recommend guests for our show or topics that you want to hear about, write to us at OnTheIssues at MsMagazine.com, and we do read our mail. 
This has been your host, Michelle Goodwin, reporting, rebelling, and telling it like it is. On the Issues with Michelle Goodwin is a Ms. Magazine joint production. Kathy Spiller and Michelle Goodwin are our executive producers. Our producers for this episode are Roxy Zal, Nassim Ali Sabani, Oliver Hogg. Our special media intern is Lillian LaSalle. The creative vision behind our work includes art and design by Brandy Phipps, editing by Will Alvarez and Kyle Good, music by Chris J. Lee, and social media assistant by Lillian LaSalle. Salve.